This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Darren Tracy, a professional engineer. He's the principal of West Branch Engineering and Consulting. Darren lives in Saratoga Springs. He's a frequent guest on WAMC's uh, public radio program, Vox Pop, answering questions about building repair. Darren and his wife, Lisa Tracy, have renovated a historic building, a doctor's office on Culvert Street in Glens Falls. I, I want to find out how this came to be. Who was that? Who was the doctor that had that office back in the old days? His last name was Ferguson, Dr. Ferguson. He was a prominent physician in Glens Falls in the late 1800s. And this was his doctor's office. I, he was also an investor in uh, an old hotel, I believe on Prospect Mountain, outside of the village of Lake George as well. So mm. we came to know about this building through a historic preservation organization called ARCH, and that's an acronym for Adirondack Architectural Historic Preservation. And they sent mm. out an email stating that this building was slated for demolition, and uh, I picked up on that email and investigated uh, the building and saw that it was in very bad disrepair, but noted that it was on the National Register of Historic Places. It was listed, and uh, that told me it's a significant building, so uh, that was the beginning of my interest. And I believe it's James Ferguson was the was the doctor. Well, the one thing that stands out, um, I haven't been there, but I, I've seen some newspaper and TV photos of the building, that his office is a small building. Why was it so small? That's correct. It's very small in scale. It's uh, 400 square feet per floor. And it's a two-story building. And I, uh, I assume that's all he needed in terms of size for his doctor's office. I understand his home was built adjacent to this doctor's office, but mm -hmm. it burned down. And I understand that this doctor's office was similar in architecture. It's a uh, second empire, and uh, that means it's got a mansard roof, which is a, a roof that is sloped on a higher level. And uh, that, I think it was coined by uh, a guy by the name of Mansard in France in the late 1800s as some way to avoid paying taxes on living space. Um, really? So he came up with this, this Mansard roof that allowed enough room in the attic to utilize the space, but yet he avoided taxes. So um, this roof style was named after him, Mansard. Uh, now today, I mean, I guess it's a tangent maybe. I mean, people build little houses, right, to live in, right? Little, little that's sort of become a, a thing, right? Yeah, it has. It's you know, part of the sustainability movement. Uh, the, the greenest house is, is one that takes the least amount of resources to, to build and to heat and cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so this is, I call this actually uh, our 1870s tiny house. Okay, that was the word I was looking for, tiny house. And you've, uh, this kind of cut to the chase, uh, now that you're, you've restored the building, you, somebody's living in it, right? Right, we have a tenant in the building, 
Uh, this is the second tenant that has been in the building since we finished the renovation. You know, it's it's providing income. That was that was our goal. Let me mention because this place was listed on the National National Register of Historic Places, mm-hmm. it was eligible for historic tax credits during a renovation. We took advantage of those tax credits, and 20% of those credits came from the state and 20% came from the federal government. Mm-hmm. So we took 40% of the price of the renovation off the price tag, which was very helpful. And that's that really makes a lot of these historic preservation renovations possible. Because otherwise you couldn't afford to do it. Otherwise it wouldn't make sense to do it, really. The return on investment just wouldn't be there. Mm. Now, you say this, the building was on the National Register of Historic Places, and you kind of came to it, I don't know, well, you came to it when you came to it. I was going to say you came to it kind of late in the in the process, but there were there was sort of a groundswell of support for this little building when the, the folks in Glens Falls heard it was going to be torn down. That's correct. There was a lot of community support for saving this building because it, it's, it's a very interesting-looking building. There's a lot of detail to the building. It's cute. It's a dollhouse-looking. And the city took ownership of this property a number of years ago. I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, maybe up to 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, due to non-payment of taxes. And I'm, I'm not sure what happened. I'm thinking, thinking maybe somebody passed away because when we took possession of the property, it was collapsed. The roof had collapsed into the second floor, had collapsed into the first floor, which had collapsed into the basement. But you mm-hmm. can see, you could see that all the furnishings were still in, in place. And there are actually clothes hanging on closet rods. It was interesting. The, floor, the second floor had fallen, but the closet rod that was attached to the wall was still in place. And there were holes, holes excuse me, there were clothes hanging off the closet rod, but no floors. It's kind of an really? interesting visual. So anyways, the, the city took possession of it. It fell into a state of disrepair and became structurally unstable and uh, threatened some of the neighbors' properties. So the city mm-hmm. had solicited bids for demolition. They had actually received bids for demolition. And the bids ranged from 17000 up to 80000 I think there were four or five bids. And they were mm-hmm. proceeding to act on that demolition when we became aware of the project. And uh, I looked at the project three or four times vacillating between, yeah, like we can do it or no, no, it's foolish to get involved with this. But finally decided that we could, could renovate the project and discussed it, um, the project with my wife and uh, she deferred to my judgment on that. <laughs> and right. as she often does on technical matters, you know how a, a relationship is, it's 50, 50 and, and in the relationship, Sometimes one of the partners has more pull than the other partner in certain areas of your life. But anyways, on the technical side, Lisa defers to me. So Mm -hmm. we uh, contacted the city. I spoke with uh, Mayor Jack Diamond at the time and said we would be interested in purchasing the property. He suggested that we meet with the town or the uh, city council. Mm -hmm. This was... I, I. uh, just putting this in a, on a chronological order, I found out about the building on a Friday 
And on the following Monday, I spoke to Mayor Jack Diamonds of Glens Falls, and there was a city council meeting on a Tuesday. I appeared at the city council meeting and made our pitch to purchase the building, and uh, we offered a dollar for the building. Right. One 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 whole complete dollar. <laughs> Very and, good. Uh, which, you know, sounds like a great deal, but actually the building was in such a state of disrepair, it was a negative asset. What year are we talking that you were doing this, this or you got the building for a dollar? This was the fall of 2017, October of 2017. So after so, I made my pitch to the city council, they, they agreed to sell it to us. And uh, they were very good to work with. And we closed, I think, within a week and started temporary stabilization of that structure immediately because with the upcoming winter, the building was in danger of collapse. So uh, we wanted to stabilize the structure so we could get through that one winter in 2017-18. What what did you do to do that? Or how did you uh, make it viable for the winter? That was uh, one of the interesting techniques on this project. We actually built a roof over top of the existing roof basically a flat tabletop on top of the existing roof. And that kept the water out for the winter and uh, stabilized it. I did go up on the roof one time during the winter and shoveled snow off. So when the spring came, you uh, started uh, restoration for real in a sense? We did. And it started by cleaning the debris out of the building. As I mentioned, all the upper floors had fallen into the basement. So wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow, I cleaned the building out. I I did that myself and had a dumpster just outside the building with some ramps set up from the basement to the dumpster and just loaded debris in a wheelbarrow and wheeled it out the front door into the dumpster. It was a lot of work. Let me ask you this. Did you find interesting stuff as you're doing this building? You know what I mean? Oh, look at that. Absolutely. Absolutely. As I mentioned, the place looked like it was lived in and then just maybe somebody passed away and vacated. Uh, we found some very interesting dishes that had fallen from the kitchen area into the basement, and they were really nice-looking, attractive, robin's egg blue china color, colored um, silver uh, plates and cups, and I use one of those every day to have my morning coffee. It's so pretty. <laughs> really? And as you're doing the rehab or doing this work, um, I would imagine a lot of uh, people stop by or, you know, maybe not in droves, but, you know, people would be interested in what you're doing. You're correct. Uh, As I mentioned, there was a lot of community support. And when we started the renovation, there were a lot of inquisitive folks that came by, I think, almost every day. Somebody came by and we were glad to give tours uh, when the building was safe enough to, to let people in, to show them around. And there was a ton of community support, and that was one of the most fulfilling aspects of this project, actually. Probably pretty much established this. I mean, the doctor had his office, but over the time, people had lived there. Like There were various families or people lived in this little building. That's right. It it was turned into a single-family residence at some point in the past, and I do not know when. Many people came 
to the, the building during the, the renovation and said, oh, my such-and-such such lived here, my such-and-such such lived here. So it had been a single-family residence for a long time, I would say mm. dec- decades. Now, you say you, had, you started with the roof or putting up a temporary roof, but ultimately you restored the original roof? How did that ha- uh, come to be? Oh, we did. It was a process. Once we had our temporary roof in place that kept the water out of the building, but then we had to basically gut what was inside, all the framing, all the floors, all the walls, take that out. And when that was removed, all that was left were the four exterior walls from the foundation up to the second floor and then the mansard roof that I have described. And then for the build back, we started at the bottom and started working our way back up. We built a complete new first floor structure and uh, then we're able to work off the first floor with scaffolding and ladders and such. From there we built the second floor structure and worked our way up and then once we had the second floor structure that would be floor joys, floor decking completely in place, something that we could stand on and walk on. From there we we worked on the roof. Uh, We actually had to jack the roof up about six inches because the rafters had rotted and settled. So we, and I should say that the, the walls of this building are brick. So on the, and the walls go from the foundation level up to the top of the second floor. Mm-hmm. And then the wood framing of the roof connects there. So what we had to do was jack up the wood framing of the roof. So we had the total roof assembly jacked up on hydraulic jock, jacks separated from the brick wall that the that the mansard roof rest on, rested on. So that was interesting. And once we jacked it up to height, we repaired some of the roof rafters and um, repaired the roof. So you know that that's the way that the, we repaired the building from the basement, mm. first floor, second floor, then the roof. And, and I believe you said in one of the articles you've written or others have written about this project that you were able to retain the brick detail without totally rebuilding the the brick portions of the structure. That's right, and there there is a lot of interesting brick detail on the building, and that's one of the reasons why we were interested in the building. It, w- it would take a whole bunch of labor to reconstruct that brick in today's market. So we had to rebuild some of the brick. But um, much of the structure, brick structure, we were able to retain. And you also wanted to create an energy-efficient structure. What did you do in that area? Right, right. I mentioned earlier that the greenest building is the building that that already exists. Um, There's this concept uh, called embodied energy. And every house that exists, it's taken a lot of energy to, uh, to to construct, whether it's making the bricks or sawing the lumber. And if you were to just demolish a building and throw that away, all that energy is gone that, that took to construct that house. So, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I like historic preservation is because it's, it's like a big recycling project. And, you know, in a world with over 6 billion people 
um, growing exponentially, you just can't keep using up resources of the planet. So you know, one of the things that we can do as a civilization is to reuse some of these buildings. So that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I'm interested in historic preservation. And uh, But that it does no good to save an old building if you have to spend an, an enormous amount of money heating the building because it's leaky and doesn't have uh, insulation. So we took great pains to uh, properly insulate and seal this building so that it's efficient to um, to cool and to heat. When d- was it ready for the first tenant that you got? Or when were you quote-unquote done? Or, or maybe it's one of those things where you're never really completely done. I don't know. No, we didn't finish. Um, it took about a year and a half to complete the project. And, and, you know, that's a long time for a small little building. I did a lot of the work myself, and I, did, I had a lot of help from one of our employees. Um, his dad used to work for us, but uh, retired at the beginning of the project. So his son um, stepped up and uh, learned a lot on this project, um, and that was another fulfilling part of the project. Uh, for us, it was like an apprenticeship for Brett, and mm-hmm. he gained a lot of skills. So after about a year and a half, so that would be uh, 2019, I think we've got our certificate of occupancy, and it's been occupied for about two years since. Do you intend to you know, own it for the foreseeable future, or would you like to sell it to somebody? We have to retain ownership for at least five years to take advantage of the tax credits that I referenced. Um, otherwise, if we sell it, we have to give back those tax credits, and we don't, we don't want to do that. So we're going to own it for at least five years, and um, we, we may hold on to it, utilize it as a rental property after that. We did have some ideas of our, either our son or daughter moving back to the area and living there, and that was one of the motivating factors of purchasing the building, but uh, they're becoming settled in, in other states, so they, that may not happen. Uh, you told the Glens Falls Post Star, people like old buildings. They are a glimpse into the past and remind us of our mortality. That took a, a different spin than I thought you were going to. Reminds us of our mortality? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I really, I really do think so. I'm just trying to put a finger on why people like old things, old buildings. Why is it? And you know, I've thought about that for years and years, and I just think it has something to do with the connection between our past, our present, and our future. And, uh, you know, that relates to our mortality. One uh, point, or a point maybe that I would make, is that so many of these cities here in upstate New York, because this is where we live, I'm sure this happens all over the world, but we have... So many of these old buildings that could be restored, but restoring restoring them is such a, a, an effort. Most of them don't get restored, right? Well, that's true, but it's also an opportunity, too, because often these old places that are run down and need attention can be purchased for um, relatively inexpensive cost, and Therefore, that's an opportunity for, say, a, a young person or young couple to buy a building and put their own sweat equity into the building. They may not have the money, but they 
they have the effort and the skills or develop the skills, they can build sweat equity. And so in, in that way, it's an opportunity. Also, some of these older buildings um, have very interesting architecture, such as this 1870s tiny house. And, you know, that's interesting to uh, to people, and it can be like a social draw. People go to historic towns because they like to see this old architecture. So that's it's another reason to uh, save some of these old buildings. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the tax credits. Are, are there other ways that people who want to restore uh, old and maybe significant buildings that, you know, that where it can be made more affordable? Is there any, I guess, there, I don't know, is there any other way to, to, to uh, un, unlock uh, money to for such projects? Um, occasionally, uh, preservation organizations will have grants, but there are not a lot of opportunities for or grant money out there, and that's one reason why uh, we were fortunate that this place was listed on the National Register of Historic Places because that's a prerequisite for the tax credits that we took advantage of. Yeah, because that really kind of the seal of approval in terms of this is not only an old building, but it's an, an historic old building. That's right, and I should mention that in order to take advantage of those tax credits, you have to retain uh, the historic features of the building. For instance, we had to retain the old uh, wood windows. We just couldn't go and buy some inexpensive vinyl windows and throw them in place of the wood windows because that takes away some of the fabric of the historic building. So mm-hmm. there are some guidelines that you have to follow, but they're not terribly restrictive. Now, you have people living in it now, but have you had, or do you do you think at some point you'll be able to have uh, tours of this building? You know, it's like a kind of a festival sort of uh, things for the tiny house. Uh, you know, I'd like to do that. We rented this building out so quickly; it was so popular, so many people were interested. It was, it was like the faucets had opened, and, and everybody was interested in this building and. Um, actually, I should mention that uh, as part of our construction operation, uh, my wife Lisa is a realtor, and that kind of dovetails into our construction work. And uh, she rented this place out really, really quickly. So I didn't really have a chance to have an open house. Um, I was thinking about that, doing that, uh, a formal open house, but. Uh, just got rented out too quickly. I did have some um, work-in-progress open houses. I did um, give a tour to an organization, um, historic preservation organization, and uh, some folks went through and did get a chance, and I mentioned that lots of the town's folks would just drop in ad hoc, and and we'd give them a tour, too. So in the future, if it opens up, uh, yeah, I would do that. We had a little block of time where we could uh, open it up so people could take a look at be really open to doing that mm. um also this is not that you're only what do they say it's not your first rodeo you have restored at least one uh, old building that i know of up in elizabethtown in the adirondacks that's right that's that was called hubbard hall uh, not to be confused with the hubbard hall in cambridge new york but that building was condemned as well 
And uh, we listed that property on the National Register of Historic Places, unlike uh, Dr. Ferguson's tiny house that was already listed. We went through the process of listing it on the National Register, which is a whole boatload of paperwork. But by doing so, we were able to take advantage of the tax credits on, on that property and it made the difference between being able to do the project and not doing the project from a financial perspective. And yeah, that, that's a great old building. Um, we had that for, on that for 10 or 12 years and uh, we sold that in three or four or five years after we sold it, they had a fire, a devastating fire, that, and, the, and they lost the structure, very sad. Oh, dear. Do you have plans or thoughts of doing another one, another uh, historic reservation project? Uh, we're working on an old building now in Albany, uh, Lark Street, Lower Lark Street, and it's a nice mm-hmm. old historic building that's been run down with maintenance deferred and uh, so we have an ongoing project now it's probably 1880s was well built at the time but fell into disrepair and we're trying to bring that back to life so yes like to keep one going all the time okay but i mean it's not what in a sense pays the bills for your uh contracting company it it really does for instance uh dr ferguson's tiny house it's an investment of money but there's a return on that investment through the rent. Um, so it does help pay the bills. Okay. Do you have any uh, advice for people who want to get into this, uh, restoring historic structures? Yeah, I do. It helps if they're handy or if they're not handy, they're, they're willing and interested in learning how to work with their hands and do some of the work themselves because they can save a lot of money. If you have to hire all the work out retail, it can be expensive. So by providing sweat equity, you not only save some money, but uh, there's some value appreciation in, in, in your work. Um, other tips? Um, yeah, I would, I would do a thorough investigation so you know exactly what you're getting into. Inspect the foundation, inspect the roof. Um, do a lot of work up front if you can. You don't want to find surprises. No, I wouldn't think you would. Well, Darren Tracy, I thank you very much uh, for joining us. Is there anything uh, you wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the the program that you have that um, brings attention to... um, the history of our region, because it's an important part of our, our heritage here. Um, in the Rust Belt, it's, it's not all just cold winters and and uh, old buildings, gloom and doom. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, culture, historical culture, that's out there, and uh, we're a part of it. Well, Darren Tracy, thanks for joining us. He's a professional engineer, the principal of West Branch Engineering and Consulting, Uh, Darren and his wife, Lisa, live in Saratoga Springs, New York. This has been the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.